chaplet of divine mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and the hour of I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God. He shall come to judge the living and the dead. I Eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In atonement for our sins and those of the whole world, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, 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 for the sake of his sorrowful passion. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In For the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, 
for the sake of his sorrowful passion. 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 Eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
sake of his sorrowful passion. For the 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 sake of his sorrowful passion. Holy God, holy mighty one, holy immortal one, have mercy on us and on the possible to make your cup of coffee an even greater joy? Coffee of the Cross brings you great coffee for a great cause. We roast on Mondays and ship on Wednesdays direct to you from Nicaragua. All proceeds go to fund the Mountain of Peace Shrine, inspired by St. John Paul II, where thousands of people come on pilgrimage to pray for peace and consecrate themselves to Our Lady. Coffee of the Cross is a non-profit project of the Diocese of Matagalpa, with the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. Fill your cup with Coffee of the Cross, knowing that you are employing families and conserving a natural treasure, the Mountain of Peace Shrine. Please visit coffeeofthecross.com for more information and to purchase your coffee today. That website again is coffeeofthecross.com. It's time now for the KATH 910 AM Interview of the Week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Each week at this time, we present interviews on topics pertinent to Catholics in North Texas. And now, here is this week's Interview of the Week. 
Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the KTH 9:10 a.m. interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. My name is Dave Palmer, host of this program. Diane Xavier is uh, running the board, producing it, and my guest today is a friend who I have known for many years, along with her late husband. Uh, her name is Laura Weston. She's a parishioner at St. Monica, although she does spend some time at Mary Immaculate Parish in Farmers Branch. And this interview is going to focus not so much on Laura, but uh, her husband, her late husband, Deacon Michael Weston, who uh, passed away suddenly last year, 2019, on October 25th at the age of 69. And Deacon Weston has an amazing story, and we're going to be focusing on uh, a work that Laura is doing, a website where Deacon Weston's Sermons can be heard. It's called EverydaySermons.com. I have been blessed by it already in the ones that I've listened to. I'll give you a little testimony about my experience. Uh, EverydaySermons.com is the website exploring the beauty and truths of living a Catholic life. So we welcome Laura Weston, the widow of Deacon Mike and Weston, Michael Weston. How you doing, Laura? Good to have you on the program. Well, thank you for asking me. It's a privilege to be here. I've all, as you, as you said, we've known each other for a long time, and, and uh, so I am so pleased that you let me say something about my husband's sermons. Yeah, you know, I called you kind of unexpectedly uh, a week ago or so, and I, I was not aware at the time that I called you that Deacon Weston had uh, passed away, and you and I, of course, had a conversation for a number uh, for a while on the phone, and I finally said, "We've got to do an interview about this. It's so fascinating." So. Let, let me get straight to it. Before we get to the website, uh, let's talk a little bit about Deacon Michael Weston. Uh, he's got an amazing story. Uh, first of all, and we'll just kind of go through some of these different parts kind of quickly so we can get to the website and the sermons. Uh, difficult childhood. Uh, it wasn't easy for him as a child, was it? Uh, no, it wasn't. Um, his, uh, you know, they kind of were culturally Christian. But when he was really quite young, his mother decided that it was, that they would not any longer attend church. And so he grew up without really any, um, any, anything to pull from as far as scriptures or Christian teaching because that just wasn't a part of, of their family. It wasn't something that they did. And, and his father, uh, his mother was, had back trouble and was heart trouble. Very, very sick, and every time a crisis came along, his father would disappear. So he was the one that would um, take care of her and feed the family. Uh, she was bedridden because of her back, so he would carry her to the bathroom, and you know, and everything that you need to do for someone who is bedridden, he did. And this was, you know, uh, up until he left for college, that was his his job. Uh, from the time he was, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, his father would just disappear. And then uh, when he thought things were better, he would show up again. So he never it completely abandoned his mother. But, in, but he wasn't one to be there during times of trouble. Yeah, and I, it says on the website that uh, when the father was there, he could be cruel and uh, Michael, at this uh, young age, had to often defend his mother and sisters from his own father, and no child should have to be put in that position. So that kind of sets the stage for uh, the rest of Deacon Michael Weston's life. Uh, he, he then goes off to Texas and at Rice University marries 
some young lady who he falls in love with named Laura Garcia. Does that ring a bell? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> yes, he, he, he was love at first sight for him, although um, I'm the one that introduced myself to him. But um, to tell you the truth, he was younger than I was, and I wanted a family. I mm-hmm. wanted to come right out of college and have a family. And I thought, you know, it's just going to delay it. He's younger than me, and he plans to be a lawyer, and it's just going to delay things. So, And I didn't want that. Um, but we got married anyway. He was pretty insistent. Yeah, and, you know, people think uh, he's a deacon. He probably was just this card-carrying, faithful, loyal Catholic his entire life. And another part of the website, uh, every, everydaysermons.com, says that, uh, you know, for the first, gosh, 36, 37 years of his life, he would, Deacon, uh, the, the the future Deacon Michael Weston would, was a, uh, an outspoken anti-Catholic snob. And he used to describe himself as, quote, rude, crude, and socially unacceptable. And I asked you this on the phone. I was like, wow, and you married this man. (laughs) What was I thinking? (laughs) I must have loved him, I guess. No, he was. But really, at at the end of the day, our values were the same. Even in college, he loved children. There was a yearbook picture of him. With our niece, because we would just go get her and pick her and pick her up and and have spend the afternoon with her and take her to the park and he just loved children and he his family was absolutely against divorce absolutely and that mm-hmm. was something that was important to me also um, yes yes he loved being rude and crude and socially unacceptable but but he was always always loving. And you two had a song that meant a lot to you. I think it was Simon and Garfunkel, Bridge Over Troubled Water, that became kind of the, the theme song of your relationship and your marriage in the early days. Uh, what was the significance of this song? Well, um, it's interesting because he had been that for his family. I think, you know, I didn't realize that was in his background until so really, the extent of it until he died. Uh, but that's what he had been for his family, and he was always very compassionate. And that, that meant a lot to both of us. And even from the beginning of our marriage, we were helping people in trouble. And it's something that we continued. And for me, uh, that, that turned into the pro-life movement, uh, being in front of abortion clinics to try to help people who were considering abortion, who uh, and try to save their babies' lives and just try to save their lives and souls as well. And so that so in that, gosh, from my twenties into my fifties, uh, I did that. And he did many things along that same line, many of which I didn't find out until his funeral. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that is the way that we find out about people is uh, people tell us that they don't tell us about them until they've passed on. Uh, we're talking about Deacon Michael Weston, who passed uh, uh, away on October 25th of last year. And uh, Laura Weston uh, is his wife. And she uh, joins us to talk about a website that she has set up called EverydaySermons.com. And we're going to get to the um, where, where and when these sermons were uh, recorded in just a moment. I want to ask you one more question about him, because... Because 
we talked about him being a rude, crude, socially unacceptable, outspoken, anti-Catholic snob. Doesn't seem like the material for a deacon, but everything changed when he was about 37 years old. And you, you say on the website he experienced almost like a St. Paul on the road to Damascus type of conversion. What do you want our listeners to know about this? Well, um, his parents had been babysitting his sister's kids so that his sister and her husband could go on vacation. And we never wanted that. We loved kids. We loved taking them with us. They insisted. We went off to Cancun. I still insisted on going to daily mass. We went to sleep one night, and he woke me up at 2 o'clock and said, I want to go to the beach. I did not take that well. (laughs) (laughs) What wife would? (laughs) (laughs) I'm here to rest, and we're going to rest. So the next morning, he I taps on my shoulder and says, uh, Laura, Laura, and I'm like, I guess I wasn't rude enough. I could go on, but at the end of the day, I finally turned to him and not very politely said, well, he told me I want to become a Catholic. Well, I thought, that is bottom of the barrel. Uh. So I said, why? And he said, I don't know. It must be God's grace. Mm. And that was it. I thought, if he can say that phrase, which was certainly not in his vocabulary, it really must be God's grace. Right. And he was absolutely convinced, devoted, adamant about the Catholic faith from that moment on. There was no swerving or questioning. He was a Catholic. Yeah, absolutely amazing. And then the fruits start pouring forth from there on in, and this is where eventually, of course, he becomes a deacon in the Catholic Church. And I want to zip forward to, uh, the, 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 of course, he, he served at both St. Monica Parish and Mary Immaculate Church and Farmers Branch, but there's a really beautiful story about a group of people called the 630 Crazies that I got, you got to explain this, uh, which really covered about a 10-year period in Deacon Michael Weston's life. Who were the ten, the six thirty crazies, and how did that? How what what what? How does that fit into his story? Well, um, the six thirty crazies started because at one time they had a six thirty mass at Mary Immaculate, um, and they and they came. I mean, it was six thirty in the morning, and, and they would come, rain or shine. They were very devoted, but it became impossible for them to continue that. So they asked Michael to have a communion service which he proceeded to do, as you said, uh, for 10 years. And and they are, Mary Immaculate, and St. Monica as well, but Mary Immaculate is full of wonderful people. And these people, he formed them and formed him into a loving group of people who looked after each other, who who checked in if, if someone wasn't there, who took care of uh of each other. At one point, one of them, they brought the, their mother, his mother in for surgery from Africa, and they paid for her surgery. They were always loving and taking care of each other. Like I said, he not only in his sermon formed them, as one should in a sermon, but they formed him, the love they had mm. for each other. I love that it says that he would uh, suggest and recommend to those who came to the 630 service that they not pray for, quote, a special intention. He wanted to encourage them to say out loud what their intentions were because he wanted the community to be praying specifically for the needs of each other. That that was pretty significant, wasn't it? It really was. I think I think 
again, that's what started forming them into a better group, although they were wonderful people. But it, it's so easy to hide behind saying a special intention because you don't want to show the world how wounded you are. It, and it hurts to say it out loud. And yet, and you give people a chance helping you. And that's something he made a point of saying and emphasizing. You need for me to let you need to let me help you. Mm. Yeah, and that comes out in one of these uh, homilies that we're going to talk about here in, in a moment as well. The website is called EverydaySermons.com. Laura Weston joining me, talking about her late husband, Deacon Michael Weston, from St. Monica and Mary Immaculate Parishes. And so he would give these uh, sermons during the communion service, 6.30 a.m. for 10 years. He did them without notes. They were very personal, and uh, since there were no notes... You know, there were no records of them, and most of them, you know, just kind of went out, and uh, unless people just remember them, they're not there. But how did it come about that there are some recordings now of of some of these sermons from his time there with the crazies? Well, many times people wanted to have copies of his sermons, which was, of course, impossible, and and they kind of pestered him about about starting to write them down. But... um, if you listen to his Sunday sermons and stayed for the many masses he did, they would change even then according to his audience. So that, that was impossible. But eventually they convinced him to record the sermons. Um, and, and so for the last thing in, in 2018 through 2019, I have some, not all, but many, many of his sermons during that period. And he covers a wide range of topics because it was everyday life. He was talking about his everyday life and their everyday life uh, from a background of someone who had once rejected religion, from a background of a father and a grandfather, from a background of someone who looks at life asking, how do I love God and love neighbor in what I am doing right now? And the you talk about the the, the topics and the, there is a, a wide range. Uh, you know, I I, I went on, online to the website everydaysermons.com and just the the most five recent ones. Uh, uh, the law as of the time that this is being recorded, the laws of love transform the narrow gate to salvation. Wives, be subordinated to your husbands. Say what? Uh, behave like God. Let someone love you. Uh, love like a fanatic. I love that. I haven't, I haven't watched that one yet. Uh, every day, love like a saint. And so, um, I, I will tell you, you know, my own testimony. I, I listened to the wives be subordinate to your husband say what one when, um, I, I was actually going through a little rough patch with my wife and, uh, and I, I, I was guilty of not respecting her like I should. And I listened to his words, and I also am aware of what it says on the website about how much he loved you and uh, told you that and expressed it every single day. And it really struck me that, you know, the, the, the husband's responsibility is to love his wife, is to lay and be willing to lay down his life for his wife. And it had an immediate impact on me uh, hearing his words of me saying, you know what, I, I've got to change. Uh, the let someone Thank love you. you is... You know, about how we often are reluctant to accept anybody's, um, gift to us and how he 
Deacon Weston points out that really we're, 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 we're doing nobody a favor by not allowing somebody to do us a favor and to love us because it allows them to practice virtue and to, 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 to grow in their own holiness. And so why would we cut that off and just not allow them to? Uh, and so that one again, uh, is something that impacted me a lot. And is there anything else, any others that you want to highlight? I know you probably know a lot of these by like the back of your hand now, Laura, cause you've, you've been <laughs> posting them. What, what other ones really strike you that you would maybe recommend our listeners go to? Um, you know, he, he, he tackles, uh, things that were, uh, that were, being addressed at the time. He, he has a sermon that really talks about clergy abuse and how the clericalism that he was warned about information really came forth because of the clergy abuse issue. It came to, and, and, um, they're one that behaves like God. Uh, you would not remember it that way, but that is actually a quote. That are from the Bible, behave like God as His beloved children. Mm. So, so it's it, he's he was always very very careful he about um like for and, and he was uh, he was a smart man you know he was a lawyer he was powerful he he was many times in fact the smartest guy in the room, um and his service at Parkland had made him be the humblest guy in the room. Because the the, uh, the sick people were the people that had to be most important, so he talks about that. Um, he he talks about some of the things in his formation, like the Luke's Gospel, the story of salvation through Gentile eyes. Um, I'm trying to go through them right now to see the sermons, but but it, he really covers so many things that, in a way that is very very practical, very, very, how do I live the truth of my faith? How do I show that every day and every moment of my life? And it's not hard. (laughs) But you know what? For me, it's a consolation because it helps me when I get all self-centered and sad because he's gone. It helps me get out of that. It helps me say, look, I need to see to the needs of others. I need to not be concentrating on myself. And this is my husband. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I can't, I was going to ask you about that and you kind of led me right into the question. You know, some people, <laughs> some people love listening to, you know, Father John Ricardo or Father Mitch or, you know, that we all have our, our favorite, you know, speakers and, uh, for you having, gosh, you know, less than, gosh, only six months since you lost, uh, your husband to be able to soak up his words and, you know, some of these perhaps you're, you're hearing for the first time because I know you weren't, uh, always among the 630 crazies and that must be therapeutic for you as a widow right now to be able to, to listen to your late husband and grow and learn and maybe even to develop a closer relation to him. Uh, on the other side of the grave, uh, it, uh, is, is, is that, has it been therapeutic for you in, in, in your own uh, bereavement? Oh, absolutely. Uh, at first, I couldn't do it. It was very hard hearing his voice. Uh, but he, they are such an outpouring of his heart. And such, and it, and yes, yes, I've become closer to him from listening to it. I've become a better person. Um, and things have happened, you know, that, uh, and he has, uh, God has sent me consolations, I believe, through him. For example, uh, 
I was feeling down, of course, the day before Easter, uh, during the Easter Bible, but particularly that Saturday, and I get a call from one of the ladies, Betty, who's referred to in this summer, who would come with her Catholic husband, but would always say, oh, no, I can't be a Catholic. My family's Baptist and Methodist, and I just can't do that. And she gave me a call to let me know that because of my kindness, and I couldn't believe she said me, because that's so not true, um, she has decided to join the Catholic Church. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so what a what a time for God to send me that collection. Yeah, yeah, that that that's amazing, and that is man, this that's just within the last week or so. And so, um, so tell us, uh, um, what other feedback have you gotten? I know this is, and and I want to say also, I commend you because the the website is really. Uh, a visually attractive. It, it does not look like an amateur put it together. In fact, I would have guessed that you're hiring a, a webmaster with uh, tons and years of experience in putting this together. <laughs> it's really, really uh, an attractive site, and I encourage everybody to visit it. Uh, you'll read about Deacon uh, Michael Weston's life, and you'll also, more importantly, be able to click on any one of these um, dozens of homilies EverydaySermons.com, EverydaySermons.com. Any other feedback, or maybe I know you've got children. What what else are people saying, or how have they been touched by uh, these sermons? Well, um, in different different ways, you know. um, He has touched things that are in people's everyday lives, brought into, I have had feedback about how you finally put into the words the way I feel in this situation or in that situation and, and you reaffirmed my belief that God is in everything or, or um and even even established oh I never thought of it in that way and now whenever this happens I'm gonna think about God. Yeah. I'm gonna think about what you said and bring God into my life at that moment. So I have had feedback. I haven't had a lot of visitors. Um and as far as my being a webmaster, I did IT, and I can put something together pretty. But one thing I cannot do is make people come to my website, and I have to say it will not come on a Google search. Hmm. You have to put in www, everyday sermons, that's plural, ends in an S, everydaysermons.com. It's really, at this point, the only way you can get to the website. Yeah, and I hope I, uh, because of this interview, uh, you know, dozens if not hundreds of more people will go and visit that site and, and keep going back because uh, there's a lot up there. And even if you listen to one a day or, you know, you can do some binge listening and do several of them in one day. But I do encourage you. only, they're only about eight minutes. It's not, you know, I, many people have sent me videos and I'm there half an hour, you know. Yeah. These quick, these Quick sermons, he comes to his point, he has what he has to say, and it doesn't require a great commitment of time to listen to one of his sermons, and I'm adding to them every few days. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. All right, Laura, thanks so much. Um, I, I want to come back to you in a second. If there's anything else that you want to say about this website, I want you to share it then. I thank you for doing this. I encourage everybody to visit EverydaySermons.com, EverydaySermons.com. Uh, they are, as it implies, the sermons that were done every day to the 6.30 a.m. crazies over at Mary Immaculate Church in Farmer's Branch over a period of time, uh, exploring the beauty and truths of living a Catholic life, uh, a deeper look at everyday questions and answers for life as a Catholic. And uh, they are they're awesome. So, Laura, anything else before we let you go? 
No, I just, uh, like I said, I, I encourage you to go. I, you know, he talks about Islam. He talks about 9-11 and times of crisis, which might be a good thing to listen to right now. Um, so many things, I can't even remember them all. And he says of himself, he does one on St. Augustine and says of, of himself, he says, there are great minds in the church. I am not one of them. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's that humility, which is interesting, ironic, because you said he normally uh, was the smartest guy in the room, but he apparently didn't take pride in that, or maybe he wasn't even aware of the fact that that was the case. So it uh, sounds like a, a great man. Uh, may God rest his soul, and I think you'd agree, even though uh, he uh, was well prepared for death and lived a, a holy life um post conversion uh we um we ask everybody to pray for him we we pray for the dead and we pray for the the soul of deacon michael weston and also in thanksgiving for laura for all that she's done and her labor of love with this website everydaysermons.com www.everydaysermons.com laura great talking with you thank you for what you're doing and i hope uh many people will visit the site and be blessed uh, as you've been blessed by deacon michael weston's life Thank you, thank you so much, Dave, for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. It, it really, it really helps. Thank you. Oh, certainly. Thank you. And thanks also to Diane Xavier running the board, producing this program. And uh, thank you for everybody. Now, like I said, I kind of reached out to uh, Laura and uh, this came about in our conversation. But a lot of people email me and say, hey, I got an idea for an interview. And I appreciate that so much because it makes my job easier to know what's going on and what people should know about. So email me if you have an idea for future interviews. My email is Palmer at online. Dot com. Dave Palmer at grnonline.com. This has been the KTH 910 AM Interview of the Week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Thank you for listening. The Diocese of Fort Worth will live stream the Chrism Mass at St. Patrick's Cathedral on Thursday, May 28th on the front page of the Fort Worth Diocesan website at fwdioc.org starting at 5.30 p.m. During the Chrism Mass, the bishop blesses the sacramental oils used throughout the year in every parish in the diocese and the priests of the diocese renew their promises to the priesthood. The blessed oils play an essential role in bestowing grace in sacramental rite and the Mass itself reveals the unity of the worldwide church. The Guadalupe Radio Network appreciates the support of Vetro Glass Blowing Studio and Gallery located on historic Main Street in Grapevine for their support of local Catholic radio on KTH 910 AM. They offer crafted glass art ranging from handmade sculptures to small glass art gifts. They're currently open for curbside glass service Tuesday through Saturdays from 10 AM to 5 PM. They can be reached by calling 817-251-1668 and online at grapevineglassblowers.com. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to KTH 910 AM interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Uh, my name is Dave Palmer, host of this program. Diane Xavier is running the board, and we are glad that you are listening. And we know that this has been a strange year so far with uh, the crisis of COVID-19, and it's impacted every single one of our lives dramatically. I mean, there's not a single person who hasn't been impacted by this. And so, uh, you know, on this program, we talk about such an eclectic array of topics, and I thought that it would be good to 
highlight uh, one uh, gentleman and his family and his uh, practice and just kind of talk about how this has impacted him, his life, his parish life. And uh, I think you'll enjoy this conversation. His name is Dr. Sean Messonnier, and uh, he is a veterinarian, runs a, a vet clinic called Paws and Claws Animal Hospital and Holistic Pet Center. You know, say that 20 times in Plano. And uh, he and his wife, Sandy, are proud parents of one uh, uh uh, adult daughter, and they are parishioners at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish in Plano. So we're going to talk about an array of things, uh, caring for pets during COVID and uh, disruption of parish life and uh, being a vet and uh, a lot of other things as well. So Dr. Sean Messonnier, thanks for joining us on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Dave. Hope you're doing well there, too. And I also appreciate you reaching out. I know you and I have talked about a number of things in the past, uh, even uh, the possibility of doing a a, a magic show at some point as a benefit to GRN, and that's that's a whole lot another topic. But uh, anyways, um, tell me a little bit about uh, you and your wife, uh, your parish. I know you're very involved over at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish. You sent me a list. You guys are uh, extraordinary ministers of the Eucharist, involved in RCIA, Acts, Colby Prison Retreats. I mean, you guys are really, really engaged in the parish life, aren't you? Yeah, we are. You know, we actually met, <clears throat> excuse me, at a singles group at All Saints Parish in Dallas when we got married 30 years ago, um, this year actually, in May. Um, so we were involved in that group. I was involved in choir. We moved to different parishes around when we had our daughter Erica. We moved from All Saints to Prince of Peace and helped build that parish and went to Our Lady of Angels in Allen. And now we're at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, basically because we went on some actuary tricks that got us involved at St. E's. And we are involved in, in trying to give back. We love doing our ministries. We miss doing them uh, with the COVID issue where we can't be with people right now. Although we did do some RCIA this week online to kind of help those folks finish up and get them confirmed and baptized and get their first Eucharist hopefully this summer or fall when things settle down. So we, we love our church ministry, especially since our daughter is older, we have more time. And it's a way for us to connect and do things with each other too. Uh, at a church that was really the start of our relationship with church. Yeah. At the time that this airs, uh, things are starting to loosen up a little bit and, uh, the, the, the bishops are at least in conversation about, uh, resuming public masses and things like that, which is a great thing. But, you know, you mentioned about the RCIA, uh, through, you know, video conference and all that. Have you been able to, uh, continue any of your work with acts or prison retreats or I know you speak at, at the groups at your parish about theology of the body. Uh, what else have you been able to do the last uh, month or two, uh, in regard to evangelization and ministry? Well, you know, unfortunately, not really anything at our parish, of course, because it's closed. Although the parish is on my way home from work. I work really close by. Our home is close by. So when I have a chance, a lot of times over lunch, I'll go to the church, even though it's closed, and just sit there. They have a nice bench area. They have the columbarium. And just spend some time at church in the presence of God there. Uh, we haven't been able to really do much at the parish, unfortunately. But we're looking forward to the day where we can kind of go back and start doing that again. And for now, we had the uh, RCIA online, uh, just talking with friends, uh, kind of keeping in touch that way through Facebook, through whatever we need to do, just to reach out and to say hello to each other. And then at work, of course, I am coming to work as a veterinarian. That's considered essential, although I think everybody's work is essential. Um, but that's the way they phrase mm-hmm. it. So, you know, we're here at work. I have the chance just to be positive around people from time to time. My staff and I may bring up something 
religious, or of course we just had Easter. So it's more limited now, but we're still doing the best we can. Yeah, Dr. Sean Messine joining me uh, here on GRN, uh, not GRN Live, uh, KTH 910M Interview of the Week. Uh, his website, pawsandclawsanimalhospital.com, uh, and his practice is called Paws and Claws Animal Hospital and Holistic Pet Center in Plano, and uh, tell us a little bit about your decision to go into this particular practice. You've been practicing for over 30 years now. Um, why, why did this particular uh, practice appeal to you in the early days? I think the thing that started for me is I was seeing a lot of dogs and cats with allergies and skin problems, and the conventional drugs we were using really wasn't helping these pets long term. So I was looking for something that would be more satisfying for the the pet parent, for myself, and try to get more longer-lasting healing and sometimes a cure. And I just found this world of natural healing with herbs and homeopathics and acupuncture and chiropractic and all these wonderful things we do that can be used sometimes in place of drugs or along with drugs to minimize side effects and maximize effectiveness. And that's what we kind of do with our own life. When my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer 10 years ago, we did an integrative approach using some natural therapies plus some conventional, and she healed very quickly from that. And my own patients heal very quickly when we're doing these things. So I think for me, you know, I don't really want to always we we always want to bring god into everything and i can't say that it's more godlike to do drugs versus natural therapies but certainly god's given us a number of tools and we should use all of them whether it's purely natural or the intelligence we've had to create some drugs from our natural herbs and plants so i like this whole body, whole system approach, and we're seeing the effects of it positively in our patients as well. Yeah. Let me ask you about your practice in relation to the corona, uh, you know, COVID-19 virus, and uh, there's been a lot of talk about, well, whether pets can get it. Uh, I think they had a, like a tiger somewhere in a zoo they, that seemed to have gotten the virus, uh, but by and large, uh, pets have been immune from this, haven't they, or is that not the, tr- the case? No, that is the case. Pets do get their own coronaviruses. There are dog coronaviruses, cat coronaviruses, and, of course, people and swine coronaviruses. It's unusual for these viruses to jump ship and jump species, but sometimes it happens. You know, there was the report in the Bronx Zoo of at least one confirmed wild cat, one of the tigers, and a few others that had minor illnesses that I don't think were tested but had coronavirus-like symptoms. There was also a report of two cats recently, like last week or this week, in New York um, that had mild sniffles and tested positive for coronavirus. So I think, by and large, pets are pretty immune and safe, but we never can be totally safe in a global world. And if you're exposed to coronavirus yourself, it'd be better to keep your pets separated, just like you're separating yourself from other people, just so we don't have these things jumping species and making a bad problem even worse. Mm-hmm. What about, uh, and I don't know if you have any expertise in this as well, but uh, they had talked about this possibly starting from bats, you know, in Wuhan, China, or maybe had you talk about jumping species. Do, do you, do you uh, buy into the, the, the theory that this might have been uh, uh, caused by an animal in the first place? What do you think? So I think it could have been that. I've also heard that China might have been manipulating the virus to do whether something good or bad with it. We can leave that up to our imagination, but it may have escaped a lab. I think it's possible either way. Um, certainly, if you I haven't been to China, but if you look at pictures of a lot of the cities in China, they're very small, they're very rural, they're often very poor, and they they do have these food markets where all these pets are on top of each other. You know, we hear about 
chicken, you know, avian flu coming from over there. There's potential evidence of, you know, uh, simian immunodeficiency virus, SIV, maybe having mutated to HIV in people in Africa. So I think as we come in contact with animals, there's always that risk. And even here with dogs and cats, there are diseases we see that can swap back and forth between pets and pet owners. Fortunately, it's rare, but it does happen. You need to be aware of those. And people don't realize, too, as veterinarians, we are on the front line of this because if we diagnose something in a pet, that we know can be really bad and jump to people, we need to be vigilant of that and then form the human health authority. So it is a, a coordinated working effort, so to speak, if we see some of these exotic diseases we're concerned about. Yeah. How has your day-to-day practice been impacted by this? I have a brother-in-law who's a veterinarian, and he was saying that uh, you know people are staying in their car and the, the, the animals are coming in and they're not there necessarily inside the clinic. I don't know if that's how you're operating as well, but uh, how, how has it impacted just the, the, the visits on a day-to-day basis with people taking, bringing their pets in to see you? So similar to your brother-in-law, you know, we, we have people staying out. We wear a mask. We wear gloves. We had one fellow that was really paranoid about anything. And I actually have like a bubble suit here that orthopedic surgeons will wear. It looked like you're an astronaut, but we did that for him because he was very concerned. So it's made it, I think, really truthfully easier for veterinarians because we don't have a waiting room full of people feeling rushed, dogs and cats that might be barking or meowing at each other or getting in fights. So I think it's made practice easier for the doctors and their staffs. Um, I think it's made it somewhat easier for the clients, but they often have to wait a while in their cars. And as long as people know that, they've all been pretty agreeable with that. And they just come, they bring their, their book, they do whatever they're doing. Maybe they're doing their rosary, hopefully, if they're Catholic. And we're servicing them as best we can. But it's a more relaxed environment, and somewhat selfishly, I actually like this environment better than the older days because we do get more personal attention with people and their pets. Yeah, Dr. Sean Messonnier is my guest. Uh, he is a veterinarian, and his practice is called Paws and Claws Animal Hospital and Holistic Pet Center in Plano. Uh, PawsandClawsAnimalHospital.com is the website, and he and his wife Sandy are parishioners at St. Elizabeth and Seton Parish in Plano, as we mentioned uh, a moment ago. And I can't help but thinking, you know, we, that pets during a crisis like this, perhaps especially for the elderly, uh, can be very therapeutic because uh, maybe they have to not have much contact with humans. Uh, do you find that in a crisis like this, the pets are, are playing a, a, a bigger role in some way um, in, in just uh, being another little friend for people or, or having a, a therapeutic element uh, during an totally otherwise agree, crisis? You know? Yeah. Yeah, especially if you're isolated by yourself. Maybe you're a single person, maybe an older person, and you want that human contact. Well, you know, pets can give us not the same as people, um, but they can still give you very positive interaction. We know they can lower blood pressure and stress and risk of heart disease and stroke. So I think as long as you've got a good relationship with your pet and you're not letting stress interfere with that, just like you wouldn't want to stress interfere with your relationship with other people. I think having a pet there is wonderful. Um, I see that with my clients. I'm sure your brother-in-law does too. The very positive emotional benefits of having a pet there and, of course, keeping your pet healthy is, is important as well along that journey. 
my my daughter, my 11 year old, has been begging us uh, for years to get a little white uh, dog, and she's just very specific. We finally got her a little West Highland <laughs> Terrier, and yeah. I must say the, the the novelty never wears off. We've we've had it now for about almost a year, and she just loves that dog. It's been so good for her, and so it's just exactly like what you're saying. Now you had mentioned in an email that uh, a couple of special little pets, Lexi and Toby. Uh, that, oh, yeah. that, are those your personal pets, or who are they? No, no, no. I, I thought I'd mention just a couple of positive things during this coronavirus tragedy we're having. So Toby actually was a dog who came into us a few weeks ago that couldn't walk, was acutely paralyzed. His owner, again, kind of got discouraged with the conventional doctor was recommending like surgery or euthanasia because he wasn't walking. And we were able to do some of these natural therapies, some laser therapy, a little bit of medication, several herbs. And he like started walking almost immediately. Within a few days, he was not 100% normal. Now he's almost normal. Lexi's another pet. She's a, a kind of a tragic case, but a positive case in a way. She has this horrible big tumor on her leg. Her owner's a single mom. You know, the husband and her broke up. She doesn't have a lot of money. She's trying to work. Then she's kind of getting furloughed with all this COVID thing. So we talked her into doing a GoFundMe page, and through our website and through our newsletter to our clients, we've been able to raise so far about $1,000 to help defray her cost of removing, we have to remove her leg next week because this tumor's too big, but she'll do great with three legs as most dogs and cats do. And it's just positive that everybody, seeing everybody come together, we're discounting things, the surgeon that's coming in is discounting things. So it's really a positive way for her to not have to say goodbye to this dog because she really loves this dog and she's going through so much now. So we're able to help literally save this dog's life with the community coming together to help raise some funds for her. Yeah. I'm going to move on to a different topic in a second, but sure. uh, any last advice for people with their pets, especially during the COVID-19? You've given a little bit already, but uh, what should uh, maybe... A- I think if you're overly worried or you know you're being exposed to people who may have COVID when you come in before you go near your pets, change your clothes, take a shower, etc. I'm not overly worried because of the precautions we're taking at work and the pets have minimal risk. Obviously, if you have an outdoor cat, which I'd recommend it being indoor anyway, you know, you need to be careful because that pet could have contacted someone that could be infected. But I think overall, if you're washing your hands using common sense, the pets are minimal risk. And I think we just need to enjoy our pets and not make too big of a deal about this right now. All right. I'm trying to figure out how to transition from this into your hobbies of magic and music. But I want to talk about this. It seems like you're a pretty well-rounded guy. You know, you're involved in your parish. You got a, uh, you know, you're obviously very devoted to your wife and your daughter, uh, and uh, you're a veterinarian. And on the side, magic and music. Tell us, tell us about those two hobbies. So I love doing music. I started doing some things a few years ago. Um, I've been playing guitar and keyboard forever. But again, back with church, we started a little band, so we would do some spiritual kind of things. And sometimes I will lend my talent to one of the retreats, the Axe or the Colby retreats, if I'm selected our music ministry, so I love doing that. As far as the magic, I started doing that when I was a kid, and I started doing mentalism, which is like a mind-reading version of magic, so I really, really like that. I get to interact with the audiences. Right now, of course, that's on hold with everything, but right before this started, part of the theology of the body, they, the youth had me come back at St. E's and do magic for them, this mentalism, as a way to show them how you can develop your talents God's given us talents. He wants us to use them for our benefit, but also for others. So they really enjoyed that, and I love the opportunity to perform whenever I can find time in our schedule to do that. Yeah, I know some people, and you know, even when I say the word magic, it 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 
makes me a little bit uneasy. And uh, some people think, you know, magic is evil, and I'm certainly not in that camp. And there were uh, some saints, and maybe you can tell us about them, who were, were magicians. Uh, uh, Patrick Coffin, who I know very well, he's a magician. Uh, but when you talk about mentalism, how, how what is does the church have a, a teaching on magic per se, or where, where does magic become bad, and what, what's the line drawn of where you just good old fun magic as opposed to something a little bit more sinister? Sure. So that's a great question. So the Bible does talk about magic with a little bit different spelling, but they were really talking about the occult. Um, you know, presenting yourself as someone that communicate with the dead. And I know, you know, magicians will sometimes more for fun than anything else on Houdini's, uh, you know, around Halloween will, will do this seance for Houdini, which again can start to cross the line. If you're just doing magic as entertainment and you're not presenting yourself as someone with some special powers from some force, you're sticking away from anything occult unless you're doing it as a demonstration of something to stay away from the church views this magic just as entertainment you know when i do this mentalism mind reading i make it clear that i'm really not reading minds it looks that way and that's the way it's supposed to look but we're just using magic in a way that involves our mind ability versus just our physical ability so with mentalism you're not going to you know saw someone in half or float someone in the air we might do a prediction or you might pick a card and i'm able to tell what card you pick so we're using our minds in a way for entertainment, but we're not crossing that line into communicating with the dead or looking at special powers or communicating with, with spirits. I mean, that would definitely be dangerous for us spiritually and also definitely against the church's teaching. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that's good to know. And uh, St. John Bosco, was he a magician or is there a patron saint of magicians? Do you, do you know? You know, I should have looked that up for you. I don't really know. I know there are various entertaining and dancing patron saints, so I'm sure there's some saint along the way that was involved with magic. All right. Uh, I want to say St. John Bosco. You know, he's he, he did, a lot, right. did a lot of work with youth, and so it would have made yeah. sense that, uh, you know, youth like that kind that. of stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dr. Sean Messionet is my, my guest. Uh, he's, uh, he's many things. He's a musician, a magician, a veterinarian, a, a faithful husband and father. Uh, I'm just going to kind of leave the last couple of minutes to you, uh, Dr. Messionet, anywhere you want to take this, because uh, we're, we're starting to run out of time here. I do want to give everybody sure. uh, your website one more time. Pause in Claws, AnimalHospital.com in Plano, and uh, he and his wife Sandy are members of St. Elizabeth and Seton Parish in Plano. Uh, how would you like to spend the last couple of minutes? And I really appreciate your time. What would you like to, to, to end sure. with? Sure. Well, I would really love to talk about theology of the body a little bit, because this is something I started learning about a few years ago. And really, my wife and I, even though she doesn't like speaking, she's very passionate about this, and you know, we'll meet together and talk about things we want to get across to the youth especially. So I just, especially if you have the youth listening or parents that are struggling with kids with premarital sex issues, or maybe you're even struggling with artificial contraception in your own relationship, to start to learn about these things and to reach out. One of the things I was fascinated at talking with the youth at St. E's a few months ago about theology of the body, we had a, a question and answer where they would write questions down to keep things anonymous. And these kids are really, really smart. Yeah. And they really, as we all do, struggle with our sexuality, especially at that age, wondering, you know, what does the church teach about this? And why is this wrong? And why is that not wrong? And I know for many years, I struggle with the artificial contraception. You know, as, as a doctor, I'm always wanting to understand things. Yeah. And one of the things I've learned is if you know things, it makes it easier to understand the teaching. But what I've tried to teach my own daughter as she questions things is, look, Jesus makes it clear that we're supposed to take up our cross and follow him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say we have to agree with his teachings. 
He doesn't say we have to understand his teachings, but understanding makes it easier to agree. What he's basically saying is, take a chance, have some faith, take up your cross and follow me. And even though we may do things that may bring us temporary happiness like premarital sex, the temporary happiness ends and we're devastated. We have broken relationships. We have abortion. We have out-of-marriage, out-of-wedlock births. We have pain that comes after the temporary thrill, and we can have eternal pain if we don't get things right. So I think if we just keep in mind, following Jesus is very difficult at times. We don't have to agree with him. He doesn't ask us to do that. We just have to have faith, let go, and trust that all will be well. And there are many resources for us in the Catholic Church to learn things. And I think if we are struggling with our faith, go back and learn the early church fathers. Everything we do that's Catholic, we did 2,000 years ago. This is not new stuff. Um, so that would be the message I'd leave people with. Learn your faith. There are many opportunities. If you're struggling, bring it to God. Bring it to the sacraments. Bring it to confession. God will heal you no matter where you are, no matter how many horrible things you've done. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to come back home. And even if you don't agree, you know, I didn't agree with everything my parents wanted me to do. They were my parents. I had to do it. That's all he's asking you for. And maybe along the way, you'll learn and you'll agree and you'll be happier. Oh, wow. Couldn't have asked for more than that. <laughs> that was... Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth. Catholic radio for your soul on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone.